ladies and gentlemen, this is the Truckers Podcast, current events, local world news and trending. I'm your host up from London, Ontario, Canada. This is Monday, May 31st at 10 p.m. Thank you for joining me this evening. gentlemen thank you for coming out here we are the last day of may tomorrow beginning of a new month tomorrow the beginning of more hope that we just keep moving forward and we get out of this pandemic Now, I was reading an article um, before I came on here. And, you know, it's not the first time um, that this has happened um, here in Ontario. And it is also um, concerning. Hey, thank you for joining me this evening. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So this article that I was reading um, before I came on here, um, and this has happened before, you know, because here in Ontario, um, we decided that we were going to go ahead and do the single um, dose shot of the Pfizer, Moderna, the AstraZeneca, or the Johnson and Johnson, doesn't matter which one, back in March. And so they extended it, once you had your first shot, they extended it for four months, 16 weeks. So we can get more needles in the arms of people. And so far, you know, half of half of Canada, or a little more than half of, of all Canadians, um, have received their first shot of the vaccine. Now, people, you know, they knew this going in that okay, you're gonna get your first first shot and you're gonna have to wait 16 weeks. Now, because the vaccines are ramping up. Some people think that just because they got their first shot 21 days ago or 28 days ago, they think they have the right to jump the queue in order to get their second shot of the vaccine. Showing up at these clinics, harassing the staff, in the volunteers to get their second shot when they're not even eligible for it. Being rude, saying vulgar things. This needs to stop. And it needs to stop now. What needs to happen here is that they need to to place police officers at these vaccine clinics. So there's harassment on the staff and the volunteers comes to an end. You're not eligible for your second shot. You don't need to be going to the vaccine clinics and being all macho and tough about it when it's not even 
your turn for your second dose. Now, back on March the 19th, I received my first shot of the Pfizer because I was, I'm, a, I, uh, I'm an essential caregiver uh, to my parents. So I was eligible. So when this came into play about spreading out 16 weeks, it was about a week after I received my first shot. I thought, okay, you know, fine. They want to get more needles in the arms. And I've been waiting patiently. My second shot doesn't come until June the 19th. But the staff and the volunteers do not have to put up with the BS of these individuals. And I'm not kidding. I mean, they're showing up in their, in their sports cars, their big SUVs, you know, think their shit don't stink. And they can go in there and hustle and bustle and, and, and be ignorant uh, in order to jump the queue and try to get their second dose. Enough is enough. You know, people just don't, you know, some people just don't get it. You know, we're in this together. Whether these people like it or not, we're in this together. This, the, the entire world is in this together. You know, here in Canada, right here in Ontario, Canada, where I reside, I thought we were better than that. Majority of us, majority of us are better than that. Nobody has to go to work and nobody, you know, who's a volunteer, they do not have to put up with that crap. Unbelievable here, here in Ontario with, with, with that going on. You know, the people who are eligible right now are 18 and up, the, indin the uh, indigenous people, the Metis, people who are 80, who live in their houses still, not in a retirement or a nursing home, but are still living in their homes, are eligible for their second dose. They moved those people up and I, and, and I said, and I said to myself a while back when, when they turned around and the people who were, you know, 80, 80 and years old are still living in their homes would have to wait four months or yeah, 16 weeks, four months. You know, I thought that was wrong. They should have only had to wait the 21 to 28 days. Anybody else could wait the, you know, the 16 weeks, but you know, our elderly and the most vulnerable people, you know, should have been getting their second doses, you know, and not have to wait, but they did move them up. But individuals, certain individuals show up at these vaccine sites demanding their second shots when they're not even eligible for it. I don't know how more ignorant people can be. I really don't know. It doesn't surprise me there's people out there like that. You know, it doesn't matter here in Canada, North America, around the world, doesn't matter. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Doug, from Ontario, Canada. Now, starting this month is Men's Health Month. The health of men and the mental health. Now, As a guy, 
you know, I always think that, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking good, good care of myself, you know, mentally. I'm not a fitness guy. I mean, I used to be a fitness guy, you know, but, you know, maybe I should have just stuck with it. You know, how you think you're going to, you know, start working out and you start running and, and all these sort of stuff. And I don't know, I guess we just sometimes just lose interest in it or, you know, you sustain an injury or something. And, um, you know, but with, with, uh, you know, you know, this June is men, is the men's, um, health month and, um, bring it, bring in awareness to men's health issues during the month of June. Celebrated each year during during June, Men's Health Month brings awareness to the health issues that all men face. And across the country and around the world, at health fairs and other health education and outreach activities to focus on this month is the encouragement of men and boys and their families to take control of male health issues with the proper screening and care. So the goal of the men's health, did you know that men on average die almost five years earlier than women? Part of the reason is that men are more reluctant to go to the doctor. In fact, studies show that women go to the doctor twice as much as men. Additionally, Men's Health Network notes that certain conditions are more prevalent in men, which patients and their doctors should keep an eye on throughout their regular appointments. I mean, I'm a guy, I mean, I don't make regular appointments to my doctor. I saw an eye doctor a couple years ago. I haven't seen my family doctor, you know, in probably five years. He probably threw my records in the garbage. But I'm actually going to see him this Thursday. What a surprise. I'm going to walk in this doctor's office and he's going to Swear to God, he thinks he's seeing a ghost. You know, the, the purpose of Men's Health Month is to heighten the awareness of the preventable health problems and encourage early detection and treatment of disease among, among both men and boys. This month gives healthcare providers as well as individuals an opportunity to encourage men and boys to seek regular medical advice and early treatment for disease and injury. Now, I'm 58. I should be seeing my doctor at least once a year. And I don't. You know, and focusing on male health in seniors, it's important as a senior man to brush up on, on your health facts, listen to your body and be sure to get a regular checkup. Not only will you live longer, you'll have a better quality of life. And in general health, even if you don't feel sick, it is important to see your doctor regularly on scheduled annual exams, which is what I said, I don't. Here are some of the screening tests recommended. Your blood pressure, your colorectal cancer, 
depression, diabetes type two, lipid disorder, STDs. So you don't have to, you don't have to be sick to go see your doctor. Could be underlying conditions that you don't even know about. Right? It seems simple, but if you're sick, see your doctor. 40% of men said that when sick, they delay seeking medical care for a few days. And 17% said they would wait at least a week, but don't wait. Prompt medical care can be the difference between life and death. And, med and medications. It's important to take medications as directed, especially for seniors to, to complete a list of medications and, and um, dosages handy. They come up with those blister packs, um, you know, for the older people. So that every day, you know, for that week, they know what they're taking and when they're supposed to take it. And it's a great thing to have for, for older people. These are these blister packs. They're amazing because then you don't have all these bottles of medication and you're, you got, you know, 15 bottles of, of meds and well, which one do I take today? Or what time do I do this one? And all that is just a disaster. Get it put in a blister pack. My parents do that. My dad's going to be 81. So, and vaccines. Keep up with the rec uh, recommended shots, including for flu, shingles, pneumonia. All these things, especially for the elderly men in our lives. Healthy eating. Older men have a Pacific dietary needs. They need more calcium, more vitamin D, fiber, potassium. And the experts recommend limiting fat calories to 20 to 30% of your diet and suggest the following guidelines for daily calories for men 50 and over. A not active. 2,000 calories. Moderately active, 2,200 to 2,400. Really active, 2,400 to 28 calories. Additionally, they say it's recommended that senior men try to incorporate 30 minutes of physical activity five times a week in their daily schedule, physical limitations permitting. You know, my dad's 81 and he uses a walker. You know, he had a stroke about two years ago and survived. But he uses a walker now to get around. So the limitations on on what he can and cannot do. But he's still mobile and walking is good for us. That's why the good Lord gave us two legs. And use sunscreen. When you go in the sun, I mean, man, you know, when I was a kid, man, I ran around in my shorts, no shirt on, bare feet. Now I'm 58 years old and I cover up. I wear a hat, sunglasses, my t-shirt and my shorts. 
probably spray a half a bottle of sunscreen on me. You know, when I do go swimming, once I'm out of the water and dry off and sunscreen again, I put my shirt back on. I don't lay around in the sun. I'm not looking for that suntan. So, you know, some some important things there. And, and rising social media awareness regarding men's health. And during Men's Health Month, you can use social media to share education and awareness about men's health issues around the world. You can help spread the message of protecting men's health by using the hashtags, hashtag Men's Health Month and hashtag show us your blue. And that's the blue ribbon for Men's Health Month. Wear blue day, you know, wear something blue. Plan a day that you can get your buddies together or your family together and wear blue to help spread the knowledge of men's, of, of, of the health of the health of men. The statistics show that men deal with more illness than women and die younger. Wear Blue was created by Men's Health Network to raise awareness about the importance of male health to encourage men to live longer and healthier lives. Whether it is your, whether it is your friend, brother, dad, spouse, your boss, Show them you care about them and their health by wearing blue. And wearing blue also raises awareness and money for education about men's need to seek regular checkups. Or testicular cancer education, prostate cancer education, and other health issues that affect men cardiovascular disease, skin cancer, lung cancer, diabetes, gout, and more. These are just a few ways for men to stay healthy as they age in a great time to, to in a great time to commit to a better health is during Men's Health Month. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. You know, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I could be doing much better. You know, I guess I'm like, you know, a lot of men out there. You know, as long as the ticker is going, you feel fine. but anything could happen. So I guess I'm, you know, Thursday, this coming Thursday, like I said, I'm seeing my doctor for the first time in about five years. So I guess that's a step in the right direction, you know, and then start seeing my doctor on a regular basis. Because sometimes, you know, here, you know, here in Ontario, you know, and, and people around the world that think, oh, Canada's got a great health care and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if you lose a doctor, it's tough to get another one. Now, also with men's health, you know, comes mental illness. Why many men have a harder time seeking treatment for mental illness. 
We're ignoring the stigma surrounding mental health that stops many men from seeking help when they need it most. And it's literally killing them. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, men died by suicide at a rate of 3.54% higher than women in 2017. Mental Health America reports 6 million men are affected by depression in the United States every single year. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse puts the annual number of men dying due to alcohol-related causes at 62,000 compared to 26,000 women. And men are also two to three times more likely to mis misuse drugs than women. Depression and suicide are ranked as a leading cause of death among men. And yet, they're still far less likely to seek mental health treatment than women. We're men, right? We like to think that there's nothing wrong. We can deal with it. We can handle it. We're supposed to be the strong person. We don't want to let people down. We don't want to let the family down. So whatever troubles us, we carry that weight on our shoulders because we're men. We don't want to feel weak because we're men. It's part of that macho thing. A lot of guys don't want to admit they have this problem. They, they, they still see depression as a sign of weakness. Men don't want to feel that. We don't want to feel weakness. And this type of thinking is outdated, a relic of previous generations that don't speak to the current medical understanding of mental illness. We know so much more now and we recognize the chemical changes that take place in many ways. Mental illness is just like diabetes or any other physical condition. I mean, how many people out there, how many guys out there, you know, you have to, you have, you, you put that brave face on every single day you get up to go to work or to get up to go do whatever you're going to be doing. You know, there's something potentially wrong. You don't want to worry anybody. You don't want to put a burden on people. So we go about our, our time. We go about the things that we do every single day. A lot of people don't look at it many ways. Instead, they stay, they still see mental health struggles as a personal issue and a lack of personal fortitude so true so because of that the stigma that still exists surrounding mental illness not to mention the pressure on men to always be strong a lot of men struggle with admitting admitting they need help 
And it comes with the burden of toxic masculinity. This research that they did has found that some men also have a harder time establishing social connections. And this American uh, uh, psycho uh, Psychological Association has a podcast all about masculinity can actually be a burden on mental health. I guess that's something I'll have to check out and listen to that podcast. Now, when they're talking about this toxic masculinity, it really comes down to the way males are brought up. That they were taught to be strong and quiet. If you look at the old John Wayne movies, that was the model we were supposed to aspire to, but it's also a model that is a dysfunctional in many ways. Macho, John Wayne. And this model of masculinity may be why men are more likely to under-report symptoms of depression. But certain more traditionally masculine traits can also contribute to increased rates of depression. That's found both negative and, 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 and protective factors to traditionally masculinity. Maybe that's the way we're built. You know, we go through life that, you know, um, men is the, is the protector of the family. Men back in the day, not in these times, but back in the day, they were the breadwinners. They went to work, mom stayed home with the kids. You know, we, you know, we're the guy. Nothing's supposed to happen to us, right? Family leans on us. And we go out and do our jobs every single day. And we help take care of the family. When somebody else is sick in the family, whether, whether it's mom or the kids, we take care of them. Even though we may feel something's wrong with us, we don't like to show it. We don't want anybody to know. I guess that's the masculinity in men. And when the negative impact is an increase in depression symptoms, substance misuse can often follow. If men are less willing to ask for help, they will continue to experience the symptoms contributing to, to depression. Drug use is, off, is often um, is the coping strategy. Now, at times, you know, you know, at times in, in my life, um, I probably went through some form of depression. You know. Um, my first marriage, you know, we had one child going through um, a divorce. You know, that's a lot of stress. 
And maybe, maybe it could just be stress, you know, but then there were times that I felt down. I felt down probably because I'm not living in the same household with the one child that we had. And I only, at that, at that time, would only get to see our daughter once every two weeks. And that really weighed on me. And yes, I did. Um, it was it was difficult to cope with, and, and I did go for counseling. That was many many years ago. You know, I was in my in my late twenties. Now, men, if men are less willing to ask for help, they will continue to experience the symptoms. And it puts, you know, and as, as you know, and when people struggling with depression, um, anxiety, and other uh, mental health conditions aren't, uh, aren't embracing healthy coping resources, they may, re they may turn to alcohol, and other drugs as, as a way to numb the pain. Anxiety. I think a lot of us are experiencing, are experiencing that right now with this pandemic going on. Never mind any other stressors in life. We're all going to have some form um, of an anxiety in our lives. Just, there's no way around it. Maybe men, men more than women. And depression. Probably a lot more of that happening now than ever before during this last year of this pandemic. There's a lot of people out of work, men and women. If you're not an essential worker, then you're not working. Anxiety and depression. And we see it. And you probably see it in, in, in your friends and in your family, because you know what I see it in mine. Thank you for entering the show. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. So this is men's, men's health month is June. The problem is how do we as a society change men's per perception of seeking help before they get to that point. By reducing the stigma. A lot of men fall prey to the false idea that they should be tough enough to fix all the problems on their own. They worry about by showing vulnerability. They don't want to show it. Even in the case of physical illness, they may lose their authority with others. And as a result, they may believe that they can fix this problem quickly and move on to the next. And they may be in denial that there is a problem at all. 
And that comes back to that, that guy, that macho guy. And addressing and helping men work past it requires first ending the stigma of asking for help. There is no shame, ladies and gentlemen, and for all the men and boys out there, there is no shame to ask for help. And we need people to realize that these are medical problems, that there are good treatments available and that there is hope involved. And we want people to know that the untreated mental health issues can very quickly manifest into physical ailments especially when people are self-treating with alcohol and other substances. The awareness and education play the biggest role in terms of what we can, of what can be done to help people as early as possible. You have to talk to your loved ones, they are all these wonderful options available that can help, but first they have to be willing to try them. We have to be willing to take that first step. We recognize that we may have a problem. And yes, that first initial step by asking for help could be a very difficult step for people, for men. We don't like to admit when there's something wrong with us. We don't like to admit when there's something wrong. Uh, it's okay, it'll pass. I'll be all right. And when, and, and you know, when is it time to ask for help? And this is for everybody. If you're worried that someone you care about may be struggling, or you think that you yourself need help, look at these signs that indicate a need or outside assistance, change in mood, difference in work performance, weight changes, sadness, hopelessness, a loss of pleasure and pulling away from things that used to provide enjoyment, physical symptoms such as headaches and stomach issues. And if you recognize any of these symptoms in a loved one, reminding them that asking for help can be a sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness. And there's a lot of help out there. And that first step is to see your professional doctor your own doctor. And like I said here, try to schedule an appointment with your with your uh, primary care provider or a substance use disorder professional in cases where alcohol and other drugs are being used to self-medicate. And that's where your doctor can come in to help you. He can set, set this into, into motion and, and get you set up with these other professionals.
And then still, if scheduling that appointment seems too daunting, you know, phone phone based appointments can be reached, you know, by calling your primary care doctor. You know, because you know, sometimes you know, guys, you know, they don't want to, you know, the you know, you have a male doctor and and, and you're a guy and and you know that you you need some help. But you don't want to share these things with, with, with another guy. You know, it's like, you know, maybe you don't want to share them with, with your buddies. You know, shame. You know, you'd be afraid that, you know, you try to talk to your buddies and they're like, ah, come on, man. You know, you'll get over it. Everything will be cool. I mean, that's what we want to hear, right? Or just maybe, you know, we're just afraid that, you know, they're just going to look at you and thinking, man, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, they're just going to laugh. You know, and, and when it comes to depression and these recent reports show that depression is one of the greatest mental health challenges facing facing not just Americans, but here in North America and around the world. And how it may affect you or someone that you know. Depression is going to affect your whole family. Depression, we're going to start shutting down. We're going to start shutting people out. We as a, as a person, whether you're a man or a woman, and even kids get depressed. You know, we just shun everybody away. We don't want to talk about it. You know, when it comes to depression, it is an illness. And a serious one. You know, it's like other other illness illnesses too, like, you know, schizophrenia and, and other illness like that, you know, people, people don't like the label. The doctor tells you that you're depressed. You can see that you're, you're, you're depressed. He tells you that you're depressed. You know, he's giving you a label. We don't want to be labeled. But that's how people feel. That's why, you know, as men, You know, there has to be a time in our lives where we have to put that macho away. No matter how difficult that might be, 
to put that macho away. And it just might save your life. And what we have to do, not only with, with, with mental illness and other health issues or other health issues and disorders, we need to stop the stigma. You know, imagine that you are someone you know is dealing with a mental health issue and as an added stressor that they are also dealing with stigma. Stigma presents a serious obstacle to people who are facing mental health injuries. Stigma affects people when they are ill, when they seek treatment and are recuperating. And what is stigma? Stigma is considered a mark of shame, disgrace, or disapproval from others, as well as directed towards oneself. Stigma is a form of discrimination that many people with mental health issues struggle with. Self-stigma occurs when an individual um, internalizes negative attitude about mental health resulting in acceptance of poor treatment by others, negative coping strategies, secrecy and withdrawal. Mental illness isn't that person's fault. Sometimes you see it physically when you're walking down the street. And what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Well, this person, this person is acting strange. Oh, it might be schizophrenia. Do you keep walking in that same direction? Do you keep walking towards that person? Or do you stop and look around like you don't even notice them? Do you cross the street to avoid them? Do you stare at them and point them out? And the impact of stigma, people struggling with mental health issues often suffer because of stigma that they may feel rejected by family, friends, colleagues, and the community as a whole. Stigma has a, uh, has a negative impact on people with mental health issues, less likely to seek treatment, are often not employed or underemployed. Discrimination in the workplace prevents them from reaching full professional and or personal potential. Diminished self-worth, increased isolation and hopelessness Family members also impacted with stigma, with stigma by association. So they think the family or the rest of the family has a mental illness. I've heard it, people. I've heard it before. 
Oh, there goes the crazy family. Oh, there's that kid. Stay away from that kid. Something wrong with him. Some of it is ignorance, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. Maybe some of it they just don't know, they just don't understand. They think it's no harm, no harm done. But a lot of harm is being done when we have that 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 stigma about mental illness. You know, be aware of your language. Words have meaning and reflect attitudes and beliefs. Be careful of the language you use that may self-stigmatize. If you speak of yourself in positive terms, you are setting in an example for others to do the same. And of course, seek support and treatment. Most people who struggle with mental health require some sort of support and or treatment. Reach out to a trusted friend or family member to help you find the services you need if you are feeling overwhelmed. It would also help to have someone to be accountable to, to ensure that you are getting the help you deserve. Become a mental health champion. There's no better way to learn about the personal impact of mental health issues than to, than to describe your own lived experiences. Discussing your treatment and recovery can provide hope for others. You know, with this pandemic that's been going and raging on for a little over a year now, the impact it has, has, has had on individuals, male or female, boys or girls, men and women, the impact that it has had on millions of people financially, mentally these issues should always be talked about and it should be talked about openly When you're at work or even you're at home, you probably notice something that is amiss. Maybe with yourself. So when we talk about stigma, show some compassion. Help those 
to get help. Support them. Be there for them. Let them know that they're not alone. Because nobody should have to feel alone with mental health issues or any other disorders. And when it comes to our health as males, I guess, you know, we have to put aside that macho and really take a good hard look at ourselves and say, yeah, I am supposed to be going for a checkup once a year. I neglected that. But I am going to go see my doctor this Thursday for a checkup. My dad would see me say, hey, Doug, when was the last time you saw your doctor? I didn't want to tell him because I know the look that I would get from him. You know, that same look I got from him when I was a kid when he'd tip down his glasses and he'd be looking over at his glasses at me. I'm 58, he's 81. And I'm, and I'm still afraid of that look. But I got to tell him, I did. I had to tell him. I said, Dad, it's been like five years. And of course, down comes those glasses, looking over those glasses, looking over at me. What's the matter with you, boy? You know, so I made that appointment today. I don't know, I have any underlying health issues. I feel good every day. And I already know what the doctor is gonna do. I mean, he's gonna just, he's gonna, he's gonna give me, uh, he's gonna send me for blood work and he's gonna have everything checked off on that list, everything. I don't even remember the last time I took my own, my own blood pressure. So to all the men out there, You know, we got to do a better job of taking care of ourselves because when, once we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of our families. And when it comes to our mental health, there is no shame for asking for help. You just have to reach out and ask for it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me this evening. And I will be back out Friday evening at 9 p.m. And of course, always on the mornings at 9 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And you can also find the Truckers Podcast wherever you find your podcasts.
This is the Truckers Podcast. I'm your host, Doug, from London, Ontario, Canada. Take care. Be safe. And thank you.